Good morning from Wilmington, Delaware. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, August 14th. In today's news, the recession ends for the rich, while enduring for everyone else. President Trump blocking money for the Postal Service threatens to change the outcome of the election. And Trump just scrapped limits on methane leaks at oil and gas sites, which will worsen climate change. But first, the big idea. Joe Biden is calling on governors in all 50 states to require every resident to wear a mask when they leave their homes for at least the next three months. After a meeting with medical doctors at the Hotel DuPont, the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee said doing this would save the lives of at least 40,000 Americans. He acknowledged that wearing masks in the summer heat is uncomfortable, but he said it's also patriotic. Biden's comments came during a second joint appearance with Kamala Harris since naming her as his running mate. Both of them plan to give their speeches from the Chase Center here in Wilmington next week. The convention was originally scheduled for Milwaukee, but Biden thinks it's safer to stay closer to home. President Trump ripped Biden at his daily coronavirus briefing for proposing a mask mandate, accusing his challenger of, quote, playing politics from the sidelines and describing the idea as, quote, very defeatist. But a fresh poll from Fox News conducted this week shows Biden leading Trump by seven points nationally and 74 percent of Americans in the poll favor requiring everyone in the United States to wear a face mask when they're outside their home. Only 21% oppose doing so. The numbers have been similar in swing states. A poll released Tuesday by Marquette University Law School found that 69% of Wisconsin voters support mask requirements in all public places. Governor Tony Evers, a Democrat, issued a mandate in that state, but Republican legislators, including the state Senate Majority Leader, said they plan to return to the state capitol in Madison to vote it down. The Marquette poll showed 54% of Republicans oppose the mandate, but 43% support it. However, 71% of independent voters support the governor's requirement. And maybe not surprisingly, support was much greater for a mandate in the cities than rural areas. And a Quinnipiac University poll finds that 79% of voters in Florida, another battleground state, believe everyone in their state should be required to wear masks when in public. And there's more and more evidence that these work. Oklahoma City has seen a dramatic drop in cases ever since the city enacted a mask ordinance on July 17th, according to the Republican mayor, David Holt. Just like clockwork, about a week ago, he said the city began to see a decline in new cases by about a third and hospitalizations by about 20%. But several Republican governors continue to resist. For example, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp continues to vehemently refuse to impose any mandate at all. Yesterday, the White House's coronavirus task force warned that Georgia continues to see widespread and expanding community viral spread and said the state's current regulations are not enough to curtail the contagion. The group strongly recommended that Georgia adopt a statewide mask mandate. Kemp said he's not going to change his mind. Delta Airlines, meanwhile, which is headquartered in Atlanta, announced that more than 130 people have been put on its no-fly list for refusing to wear masks. The CEO says those 130 people will never be allowed to fly Delta again. And the CDC just issued new guidance saying that masks with valves or vents do not prevent the transmission of the virus. And here's some other news you can use. Experts recommend washing cloth masks regularly if that's what you're wearing. 
The widely recommended method promoted by the CDC is simple. Just throw the dirty mask in with your regular laundry. Cloth coverings can also be properly cleaned through hand washing. That's a time when it's okay to use bleach. Also, make sure that clean masks are stored in places where they cannot potentially be exposed to contaminants or spread any contaminants already on them. For example, masks should not be hung on the rearview mirror of your car. Think about it. If you turn your AC on, all of a sudden you're blowing virus particles potentially all over your uncovered face. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as this week comes to an end. Number one, jobs are fully back for the highest wage earners, but fewer than half of the jobs lost this spring have returned for those making less than 20 bucks an hour. Though recessions almost always hit lower wage workers the hardest, the pandemic is causing especially large gaps between rich and poor and between white and minority households. It's also widening the gap between big and small businesses. The largest companies like Nike and Best Buy are enjoying their highest stock prices ever, while smaller businesses continue to declare bankruptcy and close for good. Economists are starting to call this a K-shaped recovery because of the diverging prospects of the rich and the poor, the big and the small. And they say policy failures in Washington are exacerbating the problems. The Senate left town yesterday for a month-long recess without taking any action to deliver relief for the American people. As much of the economy has moved to work from home mode, the shift has mainly benefited college-educated white employees who do most of their work on computers. A Fed survey found that 63% of workers with college degrees could perform their jobs entirely from home, while only 20% of workers with high school diplomas or less could work from home. Richer Americans have also seen their wealth recover as the stock market has literally surpassed where it was before the pandemic, and home values have jumped to their highest levels ever, even in inflation-adjusted terms. Labor Department data shows black men and women have recovered about 20% of the jobs they lost in the pandemic versus 40% for white men and 45% for white women. The slow job rebound is leaving many minority families fearful of impending evictions. According to a new Census Bureau survey, nearly half of Hispanic renters and 42% of all black renters in America say they have no confidence or only slight confidence that they will be able to pay their rent next month. And nearly 1 million more Americans filed initial jobless claims last week. Number two, Trump on Thursday said he opposes both election aid for states and an emergency bailout for the U.S. Postal Service because he wants to restrict how many Americans can vote by mail. That's what he said, putting at risk our nation's ability to administer the November 3rd elections. Trump has been attacking mail balloting and the integrity of the vote for months, but this latest broadside makes explicit his intent to stand in the way of urgently needed money to help state and local officials administer elections during the pandemic. With nearly 180 million Americans eligible to vote by mail, the president's actions could usher in widespread delays, long lines, and to be blunt about it, voter disenfranchisement this fall. Trump said his purpose is to prevent Democrats from expanding mail balloting, which he has repeatedly claimed without evidence would invite widespread fraud. The president has also previously admitted, in case you wondered what this is really about, that he believes mail voting would allow more Democrats to cast ballots and thus hurt Republican candidates, specifically himself. In an interview yesterday with Fox Business's Maria Bartiromo, Trump said, quote, if we don't make a deal, 
That means they don't get the money. That means they can't have the universal mail-in voting. Trump's remarks prompted swift outcry from Democrats and even some Republican senators, the usual suspects like Susan Collins. Well, voting rights advocates denounced what they describe as an unprecedented threat by a sitting president to undermine an election for his own political benefit. The Republican National Committee and conservative groups pursuing a sweeping effort to limit expansion of mail balloting before the election, spending literally tens of millions of dollars on lawsuits and advertising aimed at restricting who receives ballots and who remains on the voter rolls. The RNC is working to train as many as 35,000 so-called poll watchers to monitor in-person voting and ballot counting, mostly in battleground states. And the RNC and Trump campaign advisors are now mapping out a post-election strategy, specifically how to challenge as many mail-in ballots as possible, especially those without postmarks. They anticipate weeks-long legal fights in an array of states. The Trump campaign also plans to have lawyers ready to mobilize in every state and expects legal battles to play out after Election Day in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Michigan, and Nevada. Meanwhile, the Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, a billionaire and Trump mega-donor who the president recently installed atop the Postal Service to impose his will, is in frequent contact with top Republican Party officials, according to our reporting. DeJoy even met privately last week with the president in the Oval Office to discuss strategy. To put it mildly, presidents do not typically have meetings like that with postmasters. Number three, the Trump administration yesterday scrapped limits on methane leaks, allowing oil and gas companies to decide themselves how much of the potent greenhouse gas can escape into the atmosphere from wells, pipelines, and storage tanks. The new rules issued by the Office of Management and Budget effectively rescind the Environmental Protection Agency's authority to regulate methane, the largest component of natural gas. Although it dissipates faster than carbon dioxide, methane is estimated to be at least 25 times and as much as 80 times more potent in terms of trapping heat in our atmosphere. The Trump administration says methane will now be regulated under the Clean Air Act like other volatile compounds. But the rules governing those smog-forming compounds are comparatively weak. EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler signed these new rules in Pittsburgh, in a battleground state that has the most extensive shale gas resources in the country. The Independent Petroleum Association of America, which before the Trump administration had been a lobbying client of now Interior Secretary David Bernhardt, championed these changes. Now, Biden pledges that if he wins on his very first day in office, he will require aggressive methane pollution limits for new and existing oil and gas operations. Scientists have projected that our world needs to cut greenhouse gas emissions nearly in half by the middle of the century to avert catastrophic effects from global warming. And according to the EPA itself, methane accounted for more than 10% of all U.S. greenhouse gas emissions from human activities in 2017, the most recent year there's data. Nearly a third of those emissions were generated by the natural gas and petroleum industry. And more recent research has shown that methane emissions are about 60% higher than what the EPA says. Methane concentration in the atmosphere has been rising since the Industrial Revolution. They're now 150% higher than in the year 1750. But the rate of increase has been particularly sharp over the past 15 years. Atmospheric methane levels began a rapid rise around 2007. In recent years, atmospheric concentrations of methane have increased by 10 parts per billion per year. 
Many suspect that the growth in oil and natural gas drilling brought on by the fracking revolution is playing a key role in the increase in atmospheric methane. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, August 14th. Thanks for listening. Our show is produced by Ariel Plotnick, and our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. I'm James Holman. Don't forget to wear a mask. I'll talk to you on Monday.